May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Well, if you consider if you consider some of the times in American history that, uh, that have resulted in kind of the growth of our nation's character, uh, affirming of our resolve and, and a building of our nation, national character, I bet if you were to select some times out of history, I bet that you, I, I can guess some of the times that you might select. If we were compiling a list, I bet we'd put some of the same times down. We might put down I know, the Second World War, perhaps. Right, a time of great, great trial, uh, a time of hardship, a time that really firmed up our, our national character, defined our national character, firmed up our resolve. Uh, maybe the, uh, the Great Depression, it defined in some ways who we are. The Civil War, the war between the states, maybe you would uh, add that. I mean, again, a time of great, a great testing, a time of great challenge, great trial but a time that really defined who we are as a people and really really proved our, our mettle, as it were. Uh, all times of, of challenges, uh, times of suffering, times of hardship, but all resulted in a growth, in a certain growth of our natural character. You might not pick out times of you know, particular frivolity and light. You, know? you might not choose the Roaring Twenties as a time, maybe you would, I don't know, maybe you think our national character was greatly defined by that decade, I don't know, or the gay 90s or something like that back in the 1890s, but for the most part, times of frivolity and life and relative ease uh, were not the times we think of that really you know, forged us into the people that we are as the United States of America. So it is with the church. Strangely enough, all the way throughout 2,000 years of our being, it's been really those times that have been the hardest, the most difficult, the times of greatest challenge in many ways that have, have shown the church to be who she is. And it have resulted in the greatest growth in the church, and the greatest strengthening of the church. Not the times of relative ease, not the times of, real, of, of relative comfort. Um, you know, Tertullian once said, and I've quoted this before, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It was during those times of great martyrdom and persecution uh, that the seeds of the church were grown and we saw the greatest growth in Christendom, didn't we? Times when the church was under great persecution, when there was hardship, when there was trial, when there was challenges to overcome, uh, the church has always managed, because she is the mystical bride of Christ, the mystical body of Christ, has managed to firm up and show what she is, truly, show what that mystical bride of Christ is really is. And we know certainly that, that hardship and strife and suffering and challenge, we knew right from the outset in, in the year 33, as it were, we knew that we were going to be facing that as the church, didn't we? Jesus told us. It's not going to be a, you know, all sweetness and light. You're not going to have you know, ice cream socials and, and hymn sings every Sunday. That wasn't part of the deal. It was suffering. It was bloodshed. It was laying down your life for me. He told us. He, he warned everybody right up front. If you're going to become a disciple, it's not going to be a picnic, okay? Just get that through your, your mind right now. It's not going to be a picnic. It's going to be a challenge. And indeed, that's the way it has been when the church is at her best. It's been at those times when she's lived into who she is through suffering and through challenge. I mean, I think about one of the weakest times in the Church of England in the 1700s, you know, a time that, that, that uh, necessitated the growth of Methodism because the church was kind of leaning back on its laurels and, 
Vickers were more concerned about making sure they made it to the cricket match than, than about preparing a, a good sermon or going out and taking care of the needy. And the people were just concerned about hearing a fine homily and singing the nice hymns than they were about taking care of their brothers and sisters and seeing to it that the, the name of Jesus Christ was made known. Those, although they were very comforting times, they were very dark times for the church. The church was at its greatest spiritual, you know, spiritual sickness during those times and in those places. Times of great comfort. So it is, and so we hear from the letter to the Romans, if you notice in the eighth chapter of the epistle today. Something of a very of a rather difficult epistle reading to, to make your way through. It's hard to swallow it as one big pill, as one big piece of food. You've got to break it up a little bit. When you go home today, take a look at that reading from the eighth chapter. Uh, there are three parts, three particular parts of it where, that are tied together throughout that little pericope of the epistle to the Romans today. St. Paul starts off by saying, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now you know he doesn't say the glory that's going to be revealed in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He says the glory that's actually going to be revealed in us. Okay? Glory is going to be revealed within his body. The church, within individual Christians, with Christians as the body. And in the midst of it he says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And he closes by saying, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for our full adoption as sons, even the redemption of our body. Hmm. He's talking about corruption, and he's talking about redemption. And in all of that, he's talking about the body, isn't he? He's talking about this side, right here, not some kind of spiritual being or something. He's talking about... Physical body, flesh and flesh and blood. Okay, the corrupt. I mean, this body. If you think about the spiritual body and think about the fleshy body, it's not the spiritual part of us that's corrupt. Well, I mean, in some ways it's corrupt. Of course, it's fallen. But when we think about spiritual things, it's really the flesh that's so corrupt. I mean, I, I, I know it today. I, I moved boxes yesterday. I know that my flesh is corrupt. <laughs> Uh, I know that my back is never going to be what it was 20 years ago. Flesh corrupts, gets old, and it dies. We, we know this, right? I mean, the fleshy body of Jesus during his earthly ministry, uh, some days we know it more than others, don't we? Uh, are the, flesh, the, the earthly ministry of Jesus it was undertaken within a body that was fleshy, and it was able to be killed. They, they beat him, they, they scourged him, they hung him on a cross. That was a fleshy, corruptible body. But, as St. Paul closes, we're, we're going to be we're waiting for our full adoption of sons, even the redemption of our body. He doesn't say the redemption of our souls. Did you notice that? Redemption of our body. He's talking, as we studied when we did the, the Bishop N.T. Wright series, this is about a fleshy resurrection, isn't it? I'm not talking about some kind of spiritual awakening or some kind of spiritual rebirth or like reincarnation or something. This is resurrection that St. Paul is saying we're bound for. This is the fleshy body coming back in a glorious body. A full spiritual and physical body. Glorious. Glorified and perfected. Like Jesus came back. It wasn't the same corrupt flesh that came back. It was glorified flesh. And that's what we're bound for as well. It's what he's talking about here. The whole of the New Testament points toward that as being the Christian hope. Not about flitting off somewhere as a spirit, as we know. It's not about going off to heaven as a spirit. It's about resurrection here on earth. 
As God said, when Jesus said, when, when the heavens and the earth are made new and brought together in this, and we stand again on this earth with fleshy, glorified bodies, well, yeah, the glory of God is going to be revealed in that. Most certainly. And that is exactly what St. Paul is talking about there. We groan, he says, within ourselves, waiting for that full adoption of sons and even that redemption of the body. And this, of course, and this speaks, in, in, in speaks directly to all of our, our travail, of course, the challenges that we face, which we do as individuals, as the church. We face challenge, we face hardship, we face suffering. Without a doubt, when the church is at its best, it does these things. But all of these things amount to nothing. They amount to nothing. Not even like that much. You know, that little bit. It doesn't amount to anything compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. To what, what is coming yet is so much better, so much bigger, more glorious than the sufferings that we face. And mind you, they're saying this within the context of people losing their heads and being crucified and, and being thrown to lions. During persecutions, Christians heard this and realized, yes, okay, it's not that bad, I guess, because something much better, something much bigger is coming along, and that's the Christian hope. And this passage from Paul speaks to us about his glorified body in the resurrection, which is our resurrection. And so, through all of what we see as travail, all of what we see as challenge, all of what we see as hardship, all of what we as the church see as sufferings, it's nothing. It's not to belittle it, but that's to say it's nothing compared to the glorious body and the glorious resurrection we hope for in the resurrection. And yet we find cause to pray that God might see us through these things, don't we? That God might see us through suffering, to see us through challenges, to see us through hardship. We pray that. But sometimes we forget that it's not always, it's not the hardship and the trial and those things that on the surface seem like real hurdles. Those are not always the, the real difficult parts to get through. We're sometimes likely to forget that the good things can hold us back much more than the bad things can. That collect that we heard today, the, the first collect, in one point it asks God to increase and multiply upon us thy mercy, that thou being our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we finally lose not the things eternal. We ask God that we might pass through all of these things here, which when you read the epistle, you might think that we're just asking him to pass through all the sufferings and trials, right? So that we lose not finally the things eternal. And the, the original Latin translates not as passing through things temporal, but rather passing through temporal good things. Passing through temporal good things. The church, in her wisdom, saw fit to pray that way, to ask that we would be able to pass through all the good things of this time, of this earth, that we might not lose the things eternal. And really, oftentimes, it's the good stuff that holds us back much more than the challenges do. It's the comfort, the ease, that holds us back much more than the challenges do. Think about athletics. If you've ever participated in athletics or you engage in any sport of any sort, It's the same way. I mean, just kind of sitting back and going, oh, well, I've become a swimmer. I'm not going to practice anymore, though, because I've gotten just about as good as I need, so I'm not going to practice anymore. Or a runner who would say, well, I can run a a 4-10 mile. I'm just going to relax now and 
rest on my merits, you know. Not going to go anywhere, are you? No. Just getting as, as good as you want and then stopping. Taking it easy. Enjoying comfort. Enjoying a little rest. No. Same thing in academics. If you don't continually challenge yourself and, and, and work harder and harder, I mean, you're, you're not going to just get through all of schooling just riding on your laurels, are you? I mean, those of you who have taught, have you ever, ever known the student who's like a C student and they just kind of stopped, they just kind of gave up and figured they could coast along for the rest of their time in school? I knew some in school. I think at one point maybe I was myself. It's like that in athletics. It's like that in academics. It's like that in anything that requires a little bit of work. And it's like that in our spiritual lives. And as I, I use the example of the Church of England in the early 1700s, just going, oh, let's just have a nice Sunday service and some hymns, and that's all we really need. You know, that's the same thing. You know, I've told you before, I've, I've shared this with you, I, that I, I heard the, the, the most dangerous ism facing the church, do you recall that? The most dangerous ism facing the church is not atheism, it's not agnosticism, it, it's not even secularism, which really I thought might be the most dangerous ism. The most dangerous ism facing the church is somnambulism. Sleepwalking. <laughs> somnambulism, Right? And how much of the time does much of the church go about the business of being a church by doing this? I'll just go to church, have some nice hymns, and we'll sing, and we'll sit down, and we'll hear a nice sermon, and that's it. That's all i got to do. The heck with all that scripture study, all that fasting, all that praying. The heck with all that caring for my, my neighbor. <laughs> that takes so much time. <laughs> Somnambulism is deadly, deadly, deadly. And it's what the church is infected with. It always has been. There's always been that germ of somnambulism in the church. And it comes when things are easy. It's so much easier to fall into when things are easy, when there's comfort. It's like that, as I said, in athletics. It's like that in academics. It's like in anything that requires a little bit of work. Ease and comfort in matters spiritual can be challenging. But much worse than being just challenging, it can result in spiritual laziness, it can result in sloth if we're not careful, it results in spiritual death. Dare I say that a bit of challenge in our spiritual lives, a bit of challenge in our life as the church, is not only acceptable, but it's useful and it's a thing to be desired. Actually, it gets us to stand up and take notice, to stand up for what we believe in, doesn't it? So a little bit of challenge in our spiritual lives, a little bit of challenge in our lives as Christians, a little bit of challenge in the life of the church is not only acceptable, it's useful, and it is to be welcomed. And if we don't feel ourselves challenged in our faith, if we as Christians aren't challenged then to get out and work hard, and to do the things that the body does, if we're not challenged to do that, we're going to stagnate. Because we're going to be walking around sleepwalking somnambulism will take over. And if we as the church are allowed to get comfortable, just oh, sit and get a nice massage every time we come to Mass, and that's it. If we're allowed to get comfortable and just maintain the status quo, that's probably all we're going to do. Maintain the status quo. And that spells death. 
for the church. That spells death. The church is always just one generation from extinction. And that stagnation, that sleepwalking, is what's going to put the last nail in the coffin. We do. We do indeed need to pass through things temporal. And as St. Paul warned today, yeah, there's suffering. There's going to be suffering. But it's nothing. It's nothing. Stand up to it, Christians. Stand up to it. Engage it. Seek it out, even. That could perhaps be our prayer this week, that we would would, uh, give some time in prayer and in contemplation on that very very aspect of life in the church that yeah yeah there is suffering there is challenge there's hardship and that's exactly what we're about as Christians we're supposed to face that stuff up and indeed we know that it is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed but that we stand up to it because we're not satisfied with just maintaining the status quo I know that's not the case here we are not just satisfied with maintaining the status quo because indeed, we do need to pass through temporal things, even temporal good things, as that ancient collect read, pass through temporal good things and maintain our focus on eternal things so that we might not lose them. Let us pray. O God, the protector of all that trust in thee, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us thy mercy that, thou being our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we finally lose not the things eternal. Grant us, O Heavenly Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the holy and life-giving Spirit ever, one God, world without end.